are listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our hope is for you to be encouraged and to connect with God during this message. If you'd like to know more about Thornapple Valley Church, visit tvcweb.com. Hey, one more time, I want to welcome all of our campuses in Delton, in Middleville, and online. Can we give it up for our campuses that are joining us? Also, one more time, can we give it up for Love Week? Wasn't that amazing? Wasn't that an incredible week? You know, I have to tell you, I would go to this church even if I was not the pastor because I love what's going on. You know, when I think about Love Week, I think back to Monday night. On Monday night, it was the movie night, and it was so much fun at the movies. And then I think the Tuesday, on Tuesday, we had uh, date night, you know, child care at all of our campuses. And on Wednesday, we did meal packing. Our hope was to pack 10,000 meals for Haiti, but we actually had so many volunteers show up. We packed 10,800 meals for Haiti, and so that was exciting. Yeah. And then I think the Thursday night, the daddy-daughter dance, I was here with my 15-year-old and my 8-year-old. And it was so much fun. It was so beautiful to see dads with their daughters, but it was so painful to see dads try to dance. Was anybody here? I mean, it, it was rough. It was rough. And, and then, you know, me and my daughters, we played this kind of how well do you know your dad, how well do you know your daughter game, similar to the newlywed game. So they gave us a couple easy questions like, what's your dad's birthday? What's your daughter's birthday? But then they asked my daughters, what is your dad's favorite team? So in this moment, I'm thinking my kids would inevitably say the Golden State Warriors or Michigan State. But instead, my two daughters said, my dad's favorite team is the Lions. I have to tell you, I've never been more disappointed as a dad. <laughs> so it was that day I decided to put my daughters up for adoption. So if anybody's looking for a 15-year-old or 8-year-old, I got you. But here's the thing. You know, as I think about this idea, what does it mean to love God, love our community? I go back to this person that we've been following in the Bible by the name of David. You know, we've been in this series in the month of February called The Office, where we've been following David from his weekend worship to his workplace on Monday. We've been learning what was it that took David from a shepherd to a king, the greatest king. The fact that Jesus would be called the son of David. What was it? We've been learning a lot of things about that. But here's the secret for David. It's found in Psalm chapter 119. If you got a Bible, I want to give you an opportunity to get to Psalm chapter 119. In Psalm chapter 119, David's going to write these words that are powerful. But I have to give you a preface. We don't know for sure that David wrote this psalm. But a lot of scholars think that he did write this psalm because it's very similar to a, a psalm that we know that he wrote called Psalms 19. In this psalm, David's going to do something creatively in a sense of a writing term. Is he's going to, if he wrote Psalms 119, he's going to start with each of the alphabets. He's going to use those alphabets, those Hebrew alphabets, to spell out the psalm. So if you actually want to know the Hebrew characters, you can just go to Psalms 119, and it goes through the 22 Hebrew characters, starting with Aleph, Bet, 
gimbal dalit. So if you, just like we have our ABCs and Ds, their ABCs and Ds would be Aleph, Bait, Gimbal, Dalit. Well, he's going through and he's talking about this passion that he has. Here's what he says in Psalms chapter 119, verse 97. It says, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. The word of God is not what I do on the weekends. I love your law. See, there is a difference between a passion and a responsibility. Some people see church and scripture as a responsibility. For David, he saw it as a passion. He says, I love your law. And and the more that I interact with it, the more I meditate on it, the more it gives me different ways of thinking and responding to situations. He goes on to say this, verse 98. Your commands are always with me. They make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all of my teachers because I meditate on your statues. David says, here's the interesting thing that I found. There's a lot of people who are smarter than me, my rabbis, and they teach me the scriptures, but they have a head knowledge. But I've got a heart knowledge. And the more that I apply these scriptures to my life, the more that I see that my life is getting better, my relationships are getting better. I am one step smarter than my enemies because of the word of God and its power in my life. See, David came to learn something that we all come to learn when we learn that our relationship with God is not just based on what to do and what not to do. It's based out of God's love for us. See, David comes to understand that the commands of God are meant to be protective and not just restrictive. Spiritual maturity will happen in your life when you stop seeing the Bible as what you can't do and you start understanding that God wrote these for your protection. Like, The Word of God will protect us from our enemies, from our worst instincts, from our wrong thoughts. There's a scripture in Proverbs chapter 14 that says, There's a way that seemeth right to a man, but it ends in death. It looks right, but the Word of God would say, Don't trust that. Don't go there. That feeling is not always the right feeling to follow. It's kind of like this. Fire in a fireplace is romantic. Fire all over the living room is shorty called 911. There's a fire on the dance floor. Shout out to 2009. But anyway, here's the point. What David said is your word has helped me. Now, the laws that he's referring to is if you will read your Old Testament Bible, if you start in Exodus chapter 20, you go to Deuteronomy chapter 34, there's 613 commands. 613 commands. David says, I've learned to love those commands and I apply those to my life. Now, one of the commands that we know David would apply to his life is one in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, tucked in the scripture is this powerful command. It was so powerful that one day Jesus is out doing what Jesus is doing. And he's always followed around by these people called the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And you imagine like a political candidate, you got these reporters looking for a gotcha question to trip them up. 
So one day, as Jesus is out, they try to catch him. Hey, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Out of all 613 commands, now, there's no right answer to that, right? Where do you start? I am the Lord your God, you should have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie. What's the greatest commandment? And I can imagine these guys thinking, we got him, we got him, he's not that smart. He can't think on his feet. Without hesitation, Jesus says, there's not two great, there's not one great command, there's two, not just one. The first one is Deuteronomy chapter 6, 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. But don't miss this. He said the second one is just like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19, 18. Here's the full, Jesus gave them the abbreviated version. Here's the full version of what Jesus would have been referring to. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, the law of God says this, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, when I read this, something jumped out at me. The fact that it says, do not bear a grudge, that's the same kind of language it would be used to say, don't bear a burden. It's almost to say that when you are bearing a grudge, it's a weight you don't want to carry. And it's deceptive. Because a grudge makes me feel powerful if I can hold that anger, that rage inside for what they did to me. But it weighs me down. And anybody in here, anybody in Middleville, anybody in Delton, anybody online who's carrying a grudge right now, you're an unhappy person. And the reason that you're not happy is because what grudges do is it takes what happened to me in the past and I bring it to every future relationship and situation. causes me to be unpredictable emotionally and dysfunctional in relationships. So the scripture is saying there's a better way. God says, don't bear that grudge. It's not doing you any good. I've never known anyone who their grudge made them better. It's when you release that, get that burden off of you, give it to God, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, here's how I know that David took this serious, because what he did about his own grudge. Next week, when we get back into our series, The Office, we're going to talk about horrible bosses. David had one of those. It was the former king, Saul. David only tried to serve Saul, but Saul was jealous and he was irrational and he persecuted David for 13 years. But here's what David's going to do. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, starting at verse 2, it says, Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David and the king said to him, Are you Ziba at your service? He replied. Now, this is 1,000 B.C. In 1,000 B.C., when there was a transfer of power, there was no such thing as a peaceful transfer of power unless you were related. So you imagine Ziba comes in, and he's thinking about Saul, who he used to work for, who was jealous, impulsive, dangerous, and now David's in that position of power. He says, are you Ziba and trembling? He says, yes, I kind of know what this means. 
I'm tired to the former administration and now off with my head. But David does something that's surprising. The king asked, verse 3, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul whom I can show God's kindness? Come again. You're looking to show kindness to the household of Saul who made your life a living hell for 13 years. You slept with a gun by your pillow because you never knew when the feds would break in and they would take you out, not because you did anything wrong, but just because of who you are. David said, the grudge isn't worth it. Saw what that did to Saul. And the law of God. Do not seek revenge, do not bear a grudge, but love your neighbor as yourself. The word that's translated God's loving kindness is a Hebrew word that you will read over all over the Hebrew Bible, and it's the word hesed. Everybody say that with me. Try Say hesed. All right. Some of you aren't spitting. You're not trying hard enough. Say hesed. God's unconditional love. And what David is going to do is he's going to take Mephibosheth, which is Saul's grandson. Instead of persecuting him, he's going to put him at his table. He's going to love him. He's going to serve him. See, here's what I learned from David about how do you live out this command to love your neighbor as yourself? Well, here's the first thing that I see for David is the first way he lived out that command was David raised his standard of giving as he raised his standard of living. Everybody in America wants to raise their standard of living. It's the American dream. Last week we talked about the calling ladder. Everybody's trying to climb the ladder. Everybody's trying to, trying to make more, to get more. But here's the question. When you get there, what will you do? For David, when he gets to the top of that ladder, he has the moment. I can get back at Saul's family or I can drop the hatchet and show love. He shows love. You know, when I think about that, I'm reminded of the movie Unbroken. It came out years ago. It was the real-life story of a man by the name of Louis Zamborini. Louis Zamborini, in his own words, he was a reckless child. At five years old, he started smoking. At eight years old, he started drinking, and he was always in the fights. His brother got him in the running, and he ended up becoming an Olympic star. In World War II, he joined the military and during the end of World War II, he's in a flight searching for some lost pilots. And, and that jet that he's on, on May 27, 1943, goes down about 850 miles from Hawaii, and he's stranded in the ocean. He gets captured by some Japanese people who take him to a, become a prisoner of war. You can read the book Unbroken, and the horrific things he went through were just mind-boggling. But there was one individual who inflicted so much pain on him. It was a guy that his nickname was Bird. Here's a picture of the real-life guy. This guy here, Louis talks about how there was one person who had, 
had um, basically, you know, his appendix taken out, Bird would just for fun would call that guy in for two weeks and he'd just punch him in the face. Made his life so terrible. To the point that he had nightmares after nightmares and he would drink himself to sleep. One night he woke up in the middle of the night choking his wife, assuming and, and, and picturing that that was Bird. Right where his wife was about to leave him, he gets invited to a Billy Graham crusade. And in 1949, he gave his life to Christ. And Louis talked about how God changed him. And then in 1998, he got to go back to Japan to carry the torch for the Olympics. And he scheduled, he planned to meet with Bird. Now, Bird never showed up. But if Bird would have showed up, here's a letter that Louis would have gave him that he wrote. He said, I committed my life to Christ, and love has replaced the hate I had for you. Christ said, forgive your enemies and pray for them. I want God's love to replace that hate in my life. And that's what David is going to do. He's going to let that love replace the hate. Here's the second thing that I'm going to see play out in David's life. is the way he lived out this command to love his neighbor as himself is he intentionally looked for somebody to love. Somebody who was difficult to love, who was different from him. To love people who are like you and that you like is liking people. It's, I love you when there's a stretch. I love you when it's hard. I love you when I don't understand. I love you when it's difficult. And David says, is there anybody left? I've made it so I can make a difference. And I'm going to show love. But here's the final thing that I'm going to see David do, is that if you continue going back to 2 Samuel chapter 9, when they bring in Saul's grandson, he's overwhelmed. He can't believe that this would be true. His grandfather's enemy wants to be kind to him. Here's what Ziba is going to say in response to David, or I'm sorry, not Ziba, but Mephibosheth, which is Saul's grandson. In verse 8. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Now, what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, would have grown up literally with a silver spoon in his mouth. All he would have known from infancy is bodyguards and secret service and, and palaces. And then all of a sudden, his grandfather is dethroned, and now he's on the run. And now he's living in this place, you can read it in your own town, called Lodabar. He doesn't see himself as having any value. David loved him. cared for him. And here's why I think David did it. Because the last way David lived out this commandment is that he raised the memories of needing to receive love. Because David knows what it's like to be on the run. David knows what it's like to live his life with constant pressure and anxiety, not because of what he did, but because of what was in somebody else's heart. And David shows love. Here's the reason, if I can just be frank with you, why some of you have a hard time showing love, it's because you never received love. 
When you receive love, you almost feel obligated to give it. Here's how I know. I remember years ago when my wife and I, we were planting a church in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and it was difficult, it was, it was tough, and, and we were raising support, and I was traveling and speaking to support that, and there were times where I had more month than I had budget to pay for the month, and I'll never forget one time. So we're living in Dallas-Fort Worth, so we had an apartment down there, and we owned a house here in Michigan, actually just an hour south of here in Three Rivers. I'll never forget being at a conference, and a lady walked up to my wife and I, and she said, God told me to pay your mortgage. And honestly, I wish I could tell you I was so thankful and so, so joyful, but actually, you know what I felt? The first thing that came up in me was no. And then I realized that what my pride was doing, it was hindering me from receiving a blessing from God. Can I help somebody? This is not even my message, but this might be for somebody here today. Could it just be that God's answering your prayers, but your pride is not letting you receive it because it didn't come in the package that you were looking for? That's a good place to say amen. amen. But here's what, what I did is I received that. From this day on, from that day on, I've lived my life thinking, God, when and how will you give me the opportunity to show love? As I bring this to a close, I'm reminded of the last night of Jesus' life. He's gathered with his disciples in the upper room. And in John chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus is going to make this statement. No greater love has a man than this, than he would lay down his life for his friends. The ultimate sign of love was Jesus dying on the cross. And not only was it the ultimate sign of love when he says he would lay down his life for his friends. Well, these are the, the same friends who betrayed him, who lied about him, who left him to die alone on the cross. Jesus demonstrated and led by example. And for somebody who's here today, you need to receive God's gift of love free of charge. So what I want to do right now is I want to invite everybody to pray with me. So I want to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes. If you're in here today and God's got your number, it's not me. Oftentimes people say, Pastor, I feel like you were talking directly to me. I don't know you. God knows you. If you're in here and you would say, today is my day. I want to start a relationship with Jesus. I want what Lena has. I want to lead you in a prayer. The words are not magical, but they will be powerful if you will put faith behind them. And the prayer goes like this. Dear Jesus... Just say these words quietly after me in your heart. I recognize that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and to come into my heart by your Holy Spirit. And from this day forward, I will follow you by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can we celebrate with the folks who made a decision to follow Jesus? Thank you for listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. If you found this message encouraging, we invite you to share it. For more information, visit tbcweb.com.